Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 565. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. We have a great guest, Dr. Wendy Lau. Before we jump in to have a conversation with her, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minutes brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. If you are about to take the MCAT or thinking about taking the MCAT, one of the best things that you can do is go create a free schedule, study planner schedule over at blueprintmcat.com. By signing up for their free account, you can get access to all of their amazing free resources, including this study planner tool, which has helped many thousands of students create a customized study plan that fits your schedule. Again, go to blueprintmcat.com today. Sign up for that free account and get started. All right, let's go and jump in and talk to Dr. Wendy Lau. We're gonna talk about her journey to medicine and how to help physicians and and you as you're going through this crazy pre-med process kind of be zen and uh, talk about what she's up to now. Dr. Wendy Lau, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you and have a great conversation about being Zen in this crazy world that we live in. Uh, my favorite question, though, you are a physician. When did you first realize that you wanted to be a doctor? Hmm, I think, uh, let's see, probably in high school. Um, but I didn't really do pre-med. I didn't do pre-med in college. Okay. Um, I got sucked into the early stages of, you know, the the bright and shiny computer science thing back in the day. Yeah. Um, where it's just right during the the first uh, internet boom. And so I just did that and forgot about, you know, my original intention of wanting to to be of service in medicine. So I didn't go back until after I worked in um, technology for a while. Um, and then one day I woke up, I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> so I had to go back and I had to do some uh, post-bac work um, and then applied. And I was probably six years out. Okay. From, yeah. So uh, several years out. So uh, a, a real non-traditional student. What what was it that you woke up and you were like, oh, like this is I'm not where I'm supposed to be. What what was it that was gnawing at you? Yeah, um, you know, at that time I was programming. I was uh, building websites for you know big corporations, um, which was fun. You know, it's new technology, and I you know loved learning new things. But I was just sitting there um, at my computer. I'm like, okay, I'm just 
really actually just selling more stuff to people who don't need it. Um, and my, you know, and then I was like, what am I going to feel uh, in 30 years or when I'm old? Like, as are, am I going to have stuff to look back on that I'm proud of? Yeah. Um, I wanted to serve people. I want to make a difference. I wanted to have meaning in life. So um, that's when I decided that I needed to make a change. Yeah. What was it? Because you, you had mentioned in high school that you had thought about being a physician. What was it early on that kind of drew you to it? Is it? Was it just service? Were you exposed to healthcare in some way? I actually wasn't, but I was actually uh, very interested in like neurology and psychiatry, um, just reading and, you know, and, and fascinated by like Oliver Sacks, you know, that, yeah. that whole, you know, just wanting to like serve in that way of getting, being able to have that privilege to um, look into people's lives and serve them from a very intimate place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you you go out into the tech world. You realize you're not where you're supposed to be. You go and do a post back. What was the the application process like for you being a non-traditional student coming from the tech world? Um, I had to do a lot of um, biological sciences. I did all my uh, science prereqs in, you know, uh, engineering and computer science when I was in college. So I had to go back and I basically do, we do everything. So, um, I, it's a long time ago. I'm, I'm not that young. So, uh, <laughs> as I recall, um, it was, I actually thought it was kind of fun to go back and, and learn all of these things. Yeah. Um, I went to a post back program and that helps me a lot just because I was with other non-traditional students um, and that they had, uh, you know, counselors and people who can help with the application process. I think having a group of friends and peers that are doing the same thing and coming back to the same thing um, is very helpful. Yeah. Um, I don't feel like I'm, totally crazy. Yeah, 100%. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's a, a huge issue, unfortunately, on a lot of college campuses is the pre-med culture is very toxic and very competitive. Yeah. And one of the the big uh, kind of opening things that I that I do here on this podcast on the pre-med years is talking about collaboration, not competition. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so you came from, again, uh, what some would say is a competitive environment in the tech industry. How do you compare the the two cultures from from the tech world and the pre-med world? I I mean, like I said in the uh, my post pack, it was very collaborative, and we were not, um, you know, as competitive with each other as it w would have been um, if I had done it in college. I think, and that was probably one of those things that made me not do pre-med in college was because I wasn't really ready for that. I was. Um, uh, probably not very mature in college. And I just couldn't uh, deal with that kind of competitiveness. Um, and so, um, I don't know, the difference between, you know, technology, actually, you know, we tend to work as a team too, mm -hmm. you know, in tech. Uh, and so that was, that was pretty collaborative also. Um, but um, I think, uh, when I was in pre-med, because we were all non-traditional students, we were really like helping each other and kind of encouraging each other just because we've all had um, real life experiences. Yeah. And so it's it's a slightly different um, tone than it was in college. Yeah, 
Definitely. So once you get into medical school and you're, you're out there kind of learning your, your kind of, uh, pre-med 2.0, what was the biggest thing that surprised you about medical school? I think, can I say something that is, that surprises me now versus that surprised me back then? Um, I think, you know, I really enjoyed the schooling part of it because, um, I was in a school that had new curriculum. So there was a lot of discussion, um, I, you know, I'm not someone who enjoys lectures very much. Um, I tend to, uh, fall asleep. So I enjoyed, uh, the discussions a lot. Um, and I learned a lot in labs and in, in small groups. Um, I loved it. One thing that surprised me now looking back though, um, after having gone through the whole process is that, um, the lack of, uh, emphasis on the kind of, you can say softer side of medicine, but the the actual important side of medicine, which is like con- the connection and my intention to serve, I don't think I've ever heard that at, at all when I was in medical school and in training. And so that's actually the work that I'm doing now is to um, bring that back to um, clinicians and physicians who are missing that part of it and had uh, through all this you know craziness and applying to med school, going through residency program, kind of forgot why they're doing this in the first place and then you know the burnout is part of it and um so looking back i wish there was more of that kind of conversation um more encouragement of that kind of conversation and um spaces where we could actually really talk about that yeah define that right because what you just said is very kind of um uh, I, I don't know, very big and not super specific. So what is it that you thought was missing? What conversations, what teachings was yeah. specifically missing? Yeah. Um, I know you haven't had a chance to look at my book, but that's basically what my book is about. So for example, um, I have a whole chapter about talking about death and dying. I called it reimagining um, mortality and morbidity. Um it's really talking about the deep questions of how do we face death ourselves? Um, because we have to face it for, you know, with our patients. Um, that's one example. So, you know, that example goes into, um, you know, because we're dealing with, you know, death and disease all day long, um, it's, uh, we need to feel comfortable with it within ourselves. Um, so I don't remember talking about this at all in, in medical school or training. Um, we just are told that this is just what we do. Um, if someone dies, we just move on. Move on. <laughs> Got another patient People dying next door. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in emergency medicine where I work. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you just keep going and then you don't, you know, that these are patients, they're over there, they're not our friends and family, yeah. so we don't need to grieve for them, right? Like, we, we just, you know, we're just professionals, so we're completely immune to any kind of emotional, um, you know, feel, you know, any kind of feelings that might come up when yeah. we see someone suffering, when we someone see someone dying. Um, but that's impossible. We're human beings, right? <laughs> so at some point, we're going to feel something, and yeah. then we don't really have a way of dealing with it because we haven't been modeled that we haven't mm-hmm. been taught that. So I think that's, that's one thing. Yeah. Um, uh, 
How do you balance uh, that, right? Uh, I, I, I can picture uh, a, a huge spectrum of mm-hmm. physicians who are too emotional with patients. <laughs> like mm-hmm. They're crying more than the patient and the patient's family. I'm like, wait a minute, yeah. what's going on here? Um, versus the the complete stone wall that shows no emotions. How do you how do you balance that so that we can be professional and be there for the patient and support them and show some strength and courage and, and all of that that maybe we're supposed to be projecting uh, um, reassurance uh, while while not getting too emotional and and also bringing too much stuff home. I I know some people who are super empaths. And they mm-hmm. bring it all home and then they can yeah. never break free of it. And it just burdens them all day long. And it's just yep. like, what's that balance? Yeah, I think it's not really, I'm not really talking about like how the bedside manner and that is extremely important, I think too. But, but of course we need to be, you know, professional when we're at work, we need to um, project a sense of confidence. We need to um, let the patients know that, you know, we're, we know what we're doing um, and that we're not like, putting our own emotions onto them or projecting our own insecurities onto them, of course. Um, But it's about how we um, process it afterwards or within ourselves. I think that's actually more important. And how we see our own, um, how we look at mortality. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that if we have not thought about it for ourselves, um, that we have a you know uh, fear of death. Everybody has a fear of death, but if we haven't really looked at it, at it yeah. within ourselves, that can come out when we see patients, mm-hmm. especially if we see someone who is kind of similar, or we see someone who reminds us of our uh, spouse or our children, and th- that kind of fear can come out, and and that's when you actually have the the excess emotional uh, expression when you see patients. So it's about having um, the space to be able to actually openly talk about how we feel about our own um, mortality or um, how we uh, how we hold on to grief, either of our patients or if we have you know family members um, who might have died. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't ever talk about death as something that is normal in medicine. It's always a problem. Obviously, you know we yeah, want to do our best. Save. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But, I've but, read lots of personal statements that all the pre-meds are like, "I'm going to save everyone." I'm like, "Are you exactly. though? Are you?" <laughs> yeah, please don't. Yeah, please don't try to save everyone because that's just not going to happen. Yeah. and you'll be just be disappointed. Not yet. Then, we don't have that tech yet. Maybe in a few yeah, years. Exactly. I mean, that's also a problem if we do have that tech. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what's going to happen with the population. Yeah, we'll be at 20 billion in no time. Exactly. We'd have to find a few more planets. <laughs> Elon's working on that. Exactly. <laughs> He's working yeah. on both problems, finding a planet and overpopulating us. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyway, different yeah. discussion. Yeah. So that's why, I mean, exactly. We are so, um, exactly what you said about pre-meds. We're, uh, the reason why we got into this is because many of us are um, saviors. We want to save people. We yeah. want to make a difference. And that is great. That is beautiful. And that's what's going to drive you. That's what's going to give you that energy to go through this crazy journey. Mm. But also the flip side of it is that you can start blaming yourselves when things are not going well, yeah. when you're actually the attending and you're, or the resident. 
And, and then that blame can turn into resentment, can turn into, you know, burnout or depression, you know, if you start blaming yourself for things that are not going well. Of course, we want to learn from our mistakes. That's why we have M&M conferences. But when do we talk about, you know, our grief? Maybe you don't want to talk about it with your colleagues, but we have to have a way to kind of metabolize it and transform it within ourselves so we're not getting more and more stressed. Yeah. I, I want to talk about, right, we had talked about just the, the personal statements, the savior yeah. kind of complexes. Yeah. Um, you, you had talked about burnout um, kind of, sometimes uh and maybe I'm, I'm putting words into your mouth but but sometimes being a reflection of forgetting our why right why are we here yeah. why why did we mm-hmm. go down this path in the first place mm-hmm. and with the years that you've had working with physicians and talking about burnout and all of this stuff and and what i have seen is a lot of physicians are out there and a lot of pre-meds are coming up with what i think is the wrong why they they ah. just I'm I'm smart, therefore I should be a doctor. Or I like oh. science, therefore I should be a doctor. I like puzzles, yeah. therefore I should be a doctor. I'm an engineer and love the human body, therefore I should be a doctor. And then when they realize that there is this emp- uh, kind of empath part, the empathetic part of being a physician mm-hmm. and lots of suffering and, and lots of other just crap, like EMRs and <laughs> billing and insurance companies and all this other stuff that it's like, well, no, I, I just want to fix people. I just want to cure people. I just want to solve problems. I don't want to deal with all that other stuff. To, yeah. to me, that's a poor reflection on their ability to understand why they did this in the first place. Yeah. How often do you think that is a, a cause of burnout? And how do we prevent students from coming into this field in the first place and go like, there's a perfect career out there for you. It's just not medicine. Mm-hmm. I think it's huge actually. And I think um, maybe people are not one-sided or one dimensional. Yeah. Maybe they have all of these things together. Uh, maybe they love science and they love, I mean, all of us do If We wouldn't be able to make it if we don't love science. We wouldn't be able to make it if we don't love solving problems. And those are all okay. But there is another side of medicine that, um, again, we don't emphasize in education. And so the A, the people who get drawn into it, even if they have that um, kind of empathy, it gets kind of lost. You've read those you know, research, and it's a little bit equivocal um, in the meta-analysis, whether or not it's really true that uh, medical students really lose empathy as they go along. But there are some, you know, it's, I felt it actually. Um, I felt that I forgot why I'm doing it. I just want to solve problems. And I think that is a big part of, it is a big part of, of burnout. And in fact, one of the fun, one of the things that I do with um, physicians um, when I do do coaching with them is that I ask them to think about their, uh, their med school uh, essay. Why did they want it to do it in the first place? Or Again, as exactly like what you did with me is that I asked them to remember why they wanted to be, do medicine in the first place. Yeah. And a lot of times, if you think back to that earlier times, we're more, you know, um, idealistic maybe, <laughs> and it might sound naive, but yeah. that is actually our original intention. And that's what's going to really sustain us through the years. I but, but what if, he, so the, and this is where I, I kind of get stuck. 
Uh-huh. What if you and I on the other end of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look at that naive intention and go, mm-hmm. you're not going to be happy. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great intention, but not to end up as a physician. I know that you're going to be miserable because because it is a naive expectation of what being a physician is. How do how, that's how do we balance that? And, and obviously, how do I balance that on the pre-med side of things? And how do you balance those conversations with physicians who are burnt out and go, well, why'd you get into this? Oh, yeah. now I know why you're burnt out. Let's go find another career for you. Yeah. I mean, there are some people who really need to find another career Yeah, um, or need to take a break, a real break, not like a, you know, two weeks, but looking at all my emails break. (laughs) (laughs) But, but then there are a lot of people, again, it's, it's our perspective, right? We, um, again, we're not one dimensional. We have all of those things. And how do we cultivate that part that is uh, sustainable? How do we cultivate that part that does remember why we're doing this? And then in clinical practice, leaning into those kind of parts and, yeah, we're you know the EMR is very annoying. We have to deal with insurance, all of that, those things. But how do you feel when you're actually talking to the patients? Yeah. Are you distracted? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking about something else, or are you actually connecting and feeling um, that connection with your patients, and then letting that give you energy? Also, yeah. you know. So I think it's it's people are multidimensional, and we can intentionally cultivate that part of us that is um, that, you know, the, the compassion that is sustainable. Yeah. You know, so that's what I think. With all of your work, working with physicians who are burnt out or on the, the verge of burnout. Yeah. Knowing that the audience listening to this is probably pre-meds very early on in the process. What can we teach them to to not end up in your office and not end up as as one of your clients? I think being aware of this problem is the first thing. And and the work you're doing and bringing, you know, pre-mess together and, um, you know, teaching them what what is real, like not to go into medicine um, blindly and, you know, too idealistically, but knowing what the problems are and then making choices as you go along that will sustain you throughout this this career. You know, all careers have problems. Um, and, you know, you might get bored in any one of them um, because all of you are smart in, in order to get to this, this point. But, you know, making choices like not living extravagantly, mm-hmm. choosing schools that um, are not going to put you in a lot of debt, or if you do, um, figure out ways to, to, to mitigate that yeah. early on not um, choosing a career where you're only thinking about um, money yeah. because that's not going to sustain you. Don't take that extra shift if you're not feeling resourced. Yeah. All of those things, if you can start thinking about it early on, um, I think you know, in my generation, at least a lot of us went into it a little bit less, uh, you know, less, you know, at least, you know, a little bit more blindly, I guess. So, I think this generation, because they know that uh, medicine is not what it used to be exactly, um, not necessarily have to be a bad thing as long as you know and and make the decisions as you go along that sustain you. 
Um, can can you dive into the the living extravagantly and the extra shifts and, and money side? <laughs> is that do you feel like again talking to all these physicians is is money the source of a lot of this stress of I have lots of debt and I also picked a lifestyle. I'm like, oh, I'm a doctor, so I'm going to buy a Mercedes. I'm going to buy a boat. I'm going to buy a big house, and therefore I have to keep working, even though I'm being burnt out, which is leading to more burnout and resentment. Is 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 it? Is that what's happening? Uh, not all, not everybody, but I've definitely seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's both that and this drive that I have to keep serving. I have to, this is what I do. Even if I'm burnt mm. out, I it's my identity. Myself. It's what I do. It's my identity is what I do. And, yeah. you know, but there is definitely a part of it that people are used to a certain lifestyle mm-hmm. and they feel kind of stuck. Um, you know, it's not everybody, but yeah. I've, def- I've definitely seen that. Yeah. I think just ma- knowing that and making those choices early on yeah. is, is very healthy. I think I had, I'm pretty sure I had Dr. Jim Dolly on uh, the podcast a while ago. He's the founder of uh, White Coat Investor. Mm, And he he talks, most of his stuff is all about the financial aspect of medicine and investing Mm -hmm. and all that. And I don't agree with a lot of what he says because he boils everything down into financial decisions, right? So you as a non-traditional student, he would have looked at your case and went, well, are you going to make more money with what you're doing or more money as a physician? If you're not going to make more money as a physician, don't be a physician. I'm like, well, no, because emotionally I want to be a doctor. I want to go serve. So, so we disagree on, on some of those things, but but I love a lot of his like live like a resident as soon as you mm-hmm. become an attending, like don't t- take all of that extra money, throw it to- towards your loans so that you do have that financial freedom mm-hmm. at some point in your life when you're looking at it going, yeah, I don't want to uh, in the, in the uh, employment world, right? I don't want to be a 1.0 anymore, full, full-time equivalent. I don't want to work full-time. I want to be half-time. I want to be 0.7. I want to be, and, and that uh, financial freedom gives you that, freedom to to choose that balance that you want in your work life so yeah it's a it's yeah. a big part of i it. mean if you can choose uh if the financial freedom is going to let you choose a job that is uh, less stressful and give you more yeah. time with each patient how would that feel um yeah you know you would be less burnt out because you're able to sit and actually connect with a patient and feel like a doctor mm-hmm. rather than a technician yeah. Um, you know, and there is part, it, it's, it's the real world. So there is some financial, um, you know, considerations, of yeah. course, but it's not everything. I mean, the financial, I think, I personally think the financial part of it is so that it can support you to be who you want to be. Yeah. Not, that's not the first thing. Yeah. yeah. So let, let's talk about the the emotional side of it, right? The financial side, we talked about the the emotional side. So for a pre-med student, they're starting to scribe and starting to work in the emergency department. They're starting to see death and destruction and trauma and, and grief yeah. and all of this stuff. How should they start to learn how to process what they're seeing so that they don't carry it with them? They don't just bury it and it comes out later uh, unexpectedly in the, in the worst times. Yeah. I mean, uh, read my book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Read the book. That's the first place to start. Obviously there are, there are practices in there that I talk about. And and your book, Uh, I'll I'll just name it here, right? Inner practice of medicine guide to becoming true stewards of health. And the, and the audio book just came out last night. Congrats. Did you read it? 
Um, no, I didn't actually. I told I asked a bunch of friends whether or not I should read it, and they're all like, "Don't do it. It's the worst time you would ever have." <laughs> so get some professional person. So yeah. I got a really beautiful. Um, narrator to do it. So nice. she, she did a really good job. Yeah. I, I have four books out there. I am a podcaster. I'm talking yeah. in two mics all day long and exactly. I haven't done my own books either. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> How did you decide that? I didn't, I just haven't done it, period. I just, oh, okay. I haven't made time for it. Yeah, no, I, I, I got asked quite a bit to make my book into audiobook yeah. because, you know, a lot of physicians don't have time. So easy. I listen to all my books. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, so back, but back to that question, um, what can they do? So I'm not just marketing my book, but um, there are deeper questions in life that we can ask ourselves um, and not forget, like, you know, remembering our intention, like we talk about, we talked about is the first one. Um, about the death stuff, there's um, practices that are based on um, uh, Eastern traditions that um, I had put in the book that is helpful to help us think about these kind of things, like uh, and to get comfortable with our own mortality. I think what is even more important with all of this work, again, is to have a group of people that you can talk to about the real things. You know, I don't know if you remember in in college, um, you know, all or in when you're younger oh when i was younger um we would stay up late to talk about the deep you know questions of life <laughs> oh you did and that <laughs> i i didn't do that maybe maybe. <laughs> maybe some people did or like you know why are we here to begin with yeah but those questions get lost yeah. as we you know take those tests and we you know write those applications and we're you know it, it just gets busy. Mm -hmm. And I think one way, you know, to get back in touch with that is to have a group um, of friends who you could talk to about um, these kind of deeper questions. And those questions are, you know, I, I put a lot of them in, in the book just so that, um, you know, people can use it as a guide, um, mm -hmm. as a conversation. Um, I think it's just holding on to uh, your intention of, of why and getting that really clear, like you said, why are you doing this? Yeah. You can make more money doing something else and it'll be easier. Yeah. But so why are you doing this rather than that something else? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the Jewish faith, uh, after the loss of a loved one, um, many, many people sit Shiva where it's mm -hmm. seven days of mourning, right? We, yeah. in the Jewish faith, it's like you are pur purposefully sitting there thinking about and grieving and processing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it seems like it's a, a very great, thing to do, mm -hmm. but we're busy as doctors and residents and medical students, and we don't have time to sit for seven days and go, Hey, I'm calling in. I lost a patient last night. Mm -hmm. Um, is it, is it kind of for each person to figure out how they best process? Is it going to the gym and exercising, calling their best friend and, and talking, and then not everyone likes to talk about death and, and, and grief and stuff too. So, so not everyone's comfortable with that. Is, is it, is it just finding what works for each person? I think, yes, finding out what works for each person. But I think the most important first step is to recognize that you are feeling something, that um, a human life is sacred, and that even though, you know, someone might, you know, be old and, you know, and it's your patient and you don't know them that well, you can still 
grief mm-hmm. and um, feel those kind of lo- the loss, the feeling of loss, and let yourself feel that loss. You can, and then work through it through. You, you were saying going to the gym. That is very, that is a very effective way of processing um, s- sadness and grief. Um, you can write about it. You can um, do a ritual around it. it. Doesn't have to be anything religious or anything. Or you could just sit by a pond and, you know, th- you know whatever feels right for you. Um, gather some flowers and let it go. But any, you know, any of those things. Um, have to come from you wanting to process your grief like it ha- you have to recognize what is really going on within yourself instead of be like oh i don't care it doesn't matter yeah um, what what are some of those feelings those signs for someone who maybe won't know like why why am i a little more grumpy today why am i a little more angry today like what are some of those symptoms that that may trigger someone to go oh that's what this is yeah um like you said, you know, when you don't really know what is going on, um, sometimes it can come out as a an, as a flash of anger. Mm-hmm. Anger, we usually say, um, is um, this is actually an important thing. Actually, um, we talk about this a lot uh, here at the Zen Center. Um, that anger actually comes from a sense of feeling helpless. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you recognize that, when you see anger coming out from yourself, you're like, okay, how am I feeling helpless? Maybe I'm feeling helpless because I wasn't able to save that patient or that I wasn't able, able to do more. Okay, so then let's recognize that um, and then look at the fact that I'm you know, being angry with my loved ones. And so then maybe go take a walk and let yourself feel those feelings of helplessness. Um, and and work through that through your body um take you know if you can't go for a walk just sit quietly take some deep breaths and recognize what's going on that is the anger is not um what is going on what's going on is your feeling or feeling you might be feeling helpless or sad that you can't do more um there are many things like that uh that can help you you know, recognize that one thing may look like something, but it can be something else actually. Yeah. When a student's going through um, medical school, there's uh, lots of pressure to just keep going as we, as we talked about, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, There's lots of modeling of, of attendings and residents that are just keep going. Mm -hmm. How do you suggest someone be able to, break that trend. Medicine's super hierarchical. Um, everyone needs to fall in line or else we're not going to get the the good letter of recommendation. We're not going to get into residency. We're not going to get into fellowship, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, any thoughts, any recommendations for a student to be able to do what they need to do to process in the way that they need to process while also not stepping on toes in the super hierarchical kind of world that we live in? I'm curious what you tell your <laughs> my students about that. That's a hard one. Yeah, I, I don't. Thankfully, I mean, most mostly uh, who I talk to are the pre-meds, not medical students that are out there yeah. rotating. But yeah, I, I think it's hard. And this is one where um, where it comes into play for me is, is talking to students about picking schools yeah. that they want to apply to and finding schools that, that may help support them and talking to the students there saying, hey, if, if a student has an issue how does the school support them? 
Um, I, I think that's a huge part of it. I think, I think students just look at prestige and go, Oh, that, that name is better than this, this name. So I'm going to apply to that school without yeah. really realizing, well, that school is full of toxic people who are all super smart and hide and bury all of their emotions. And so yeah. when, when you need help, they're not going to be there to support you. And then that just ends up in misery. Yeah. I mean, that's a really tough one. That just really depends on the actual situation itself. Um, sometimes you do have to stand up and say something, um, but it's hard when you're out on the lowest part of the totem pole. Yeah. Um, it's sad that there is a totem pole, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think not blaming yourself if you don't do anything, you know, I, I, what I see a lot with um, younger folks is that if they don't stand up and say something, then they end up feeling bad about themselves. Yeah. Because that now there's this whole conversation about how we need to like say something, but yeah. maybe you you can't sometimes. Yeah. And and I think I think it's like the reverse kind of advice is to, you know, whatever you do, know that this is not the perfect situation, mm. and work on not feeling bad about whatever it is you do or don't do, um, and don't add that. We call it a second arrow onto the, the problem. Mm. It's, you know, the first arrow is like the, you know, the problem or whatever it is that you're going through. The second arrow is feeling bad about, you know, what you did or didn't do. Yeah. So don't add that because just know that you're in a situation that is not ideal and you may not be able to do the ideal thing. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Wendy Lau, author of Inner Practice of Medicine Guide to Becoming True Stewards of Health. Go find it on all of the fun book places, Amazon and Audible, Audible and all those good places. Um, what, are, what are your final words of wisdom here as we wrap up for the student on their journey to medicine? Let's see. Hold on to your idealism even when it feels like it's um, it's too ideal, I guess, but it's not because you need to hold on to why you want to go into medicine, the deeper part of it, not just like the money or the challenge, but the intention to serve others in the time of need. Um, and that intention will bring you far. All right. So there you have it again, Dr. Wendy Lau on her journey to medicine and being Zen and what she's doing to help people kind of find that peace and uh, bring that empathy and, and everything that you need to bring every day, both as a pre-med student or all as a pre-med student, med student, uh, resident, physician, all that good stuff. So go uh, check out this podcast and all the other podcasts that we do. Make sure you're staying up to date and informed and educated and hopefully a little bit entertained as well over at premedpodcast.com. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com as well. This is MedEd Media.